solving the mystery isn't just fixing the puzzle, isn't putting all the pieces into place. It's about making the moral decision to do what's right, even when it's hard. And that's, I think, what's so important about mystery fiction. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our guest, award-winning writer and filmmaker, Chris Wheeland. He's here to talk about his first book in the Cat Dylan Mysteries, The Crab Tree Monsters. Chris is the father of two fierce children, including a tough, smart tween who helped him find the voice of his protagonist, Cat Dylan. He lives in Southern California with his family. Here's the book synopsis for The Crab Tree Monsters. Moving from Los Angeles to tiny Crabtree, Michigan is the last thing 13-year-old Cat Dylan wants to do. Crabtree's seen better days and isn't what you call welcoming. Worse, the move means living with her gruff grandpa Nick, the town's police chief, and having to look after her little brother, Alec. And that's before Cat and Alec find themselves in the middle of a bank holdup by the monster gang, Four robbers in monster masks. Before the heist is over, the kids lose their cash and Alec comes within a hair of losing his life. When it is all over, Grandpa Nick goes to jail, accused of being one of the robbers himself. Suddenly, this boring little town isn't so boring anymore. Kat's determined to find out who the men are behind the masks and she's going to need help. But exposing the robbers could have big consequences. The deeper Cat goes, the more she learns life is about making choices, including some that are a matter of life and death. Hi, Bianca. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. So I'm pretty excited too, because this is an exciting event for you. It's We're going to be talking about the Crabtree Monsters, which is the very first book in a very exciting series for tweens and young teens as well. And it's the Cat Dylan Mysteries. And I have to say that it grips readers from the very first page and does not let down with all the action and excitement. So do you want to begin by talking us through the premise of book one and what readers can expect? Sure, I'd uh, be happy to. So um, the Crabtree Monsters is a story of Cat Dillon and, and also very much uh, her, her little brother, Alec Dillon. Cat is 13. She is very much sort of a free range uh, Los Angeles kid, tough, very smart. Um, and she comes from a, a, a broken home. Dad is an LAPD homicide detective. Mom is a, a nurse in the U.S. Army who's been uh, sent to Afghanistan. And so because of the split and because of the family dynamic, Kat and her younger brother, Alec, who's a 10-year-old skater boy, uh, are sent to live with their grandfather, Grandpa Nick, who lives in a tiny town in Michigan called Crabtree, which is a sort of down on its luck, 
resort town, you know, many people may not know this, but in Michigan, on the coast, on Lake Michigan, there's there's a lot of families from Chicago who come for the summer to enjoy the beaches and whatnot. And this is a town that's kind of down on its luck. And uh, they come to live with their grandfather, who's the chief of police in this in this little town. Before long, uh, after uh, upsetting the local uh, cheerleader captain and upsetting sort of the locals, uh, they find themselves in the middle of a, a bank robbery taken on by four very flamboyant uh, monster mask wearing bank robbers. And they they try to fight back against these bank robbers and they come within an inch of losing their lives. And before they know it, their grandfather is accused of being one of them. And so Kat and Alec are in a really precarious position. They have to prove that their grandfather is innocent uh, if they ever have a hope of returning home in a, in a sort of normal capacity. And so that leads them into a mystery with both bank robberies and murders that, uh, you know, where they have to seek the truth and they have to learn about what, what really are the secrets of this town. And that is something that the adults in town don't want them to know. And they have to, they have to be brave and strong and and solve the mysteries of this this small town of Crabtree and decide whether the truth is is really worth putting themselves in danger and worth getting to. So this is the first the first mystery in the series and I think you'll you'll see that what what happened our cat and Alec are determined and they're tough and they're smart and they're not afraid to get into trouble if it means getting at what's really right in the world. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad I asked you to describe <laughs> the story because one of my biggest fears with a mystery book is that I'll give a spoiler <laughs> away. So like are you this, you know, I've read the book. And so your summary, it was like the perfect amount of like not giving anything away, but to get everybody all excited. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I'm looking forward to taking a deep dive into protagonist Kat Dillon. But before we do, I think it's really important to talk about the sibling relationship between Kat and her brother Alec, because every detective needs a sidekick and Alec is certainly Kat's. And as you mentioned, their parents are a bit absent in their lives and, you know, they really need each other. So will you talk us through their relationship and what collectively the pair bring to the story? Well, I think, and one of the things that I think we're going to investigate over time is, you know, how these two are growing up together and how they grow up in an interrelated way. But, you know, Kat is 13 and brings with it all the things that 13-year-old girls bring to the table. She is tough. She is smart. Um, she is ready to lead. She is not afraid of, of her own voice. And Alec has been in her shadow to a degree um, and kind of gets to be her superego in a way, right? She is full steam ahead and he gets to go along for the ride because there's no way that he'd be left behind for the ride. He'll tell on her if he if she's if he's left behind for one thing. And for another thing, he he knows that that she needs an extra set of hands. But he gets to sort of make jokes about her behavior over time. He gets to critique who she, who she is and what she's doing um, and be that sort of Dr. Watson, which is not to say that he's not a capable young detective himself. So a lot of their relationship is butting heads and bickering like an old married couple or honestly like two tweens who are unsupervised for too long <laughs> and and to, to, to fight through, but then to ask each other the hard questions and to, to really hit at each other's um, 
some soft spots and the places where they they might make a mistake or they might overlook something because they don't want to look at the truth directly. Um, so it's it's a real collaboration. I don't think Cat realizes how much of a collaboration it is. Early on, that's something I think we're going to explore as the series goes along. But I also, to your point, these are two characters who deeply love each other, who deeply respect each other, who know that they are the only people in the world who have their backs, right? Every grown up in their lives is in some way kind of disappointing, which I, I feel like everybody who's been the ages 10 to 13 certainly feels like even, even in the most supportive and, and welcoming and wonderful families, there's this feeling when you're that age, that tween age, that all the adults are, are disappointing none of the adults understand me or what my my people are going through. I'm in this alone and maybe I have a friend or a sibling that's that's with me in this, but that's about it. It's it's us against the world and I think we all wish that we have a sibling like that or a friend like that and that's that's what these two bring to the table. Yeah, it totally. And I I feel like that you played that dynamic so well is that, you know, we as the reader can see that Kat really needs Alec. And, you know, maybe deep down Kat knows it, but she never lets on that that she does. And I think that's sort of such a reality and, and so relatable for the reader. I would love to dive even deeper into the genesis of Cat Now. So something fun to note is that you're an award-winning writer and filmmaker. And this story went from being an option screenplay with two male teen detectives to a novel about a tough tween girl detective. So I have kind of a two-part question here. I want to know how did the story transition from screenplay to a book? And why did it feel important to you for the hero to be a girl? Um, okay. Um, so the first part of that question is the genesis of the movie version of what was then called the Dylan Boys and how we moved into the novelization and then then changing uh, the main character from, from boy to girl. I moved out to California about 15 years ago to pursue filmmaking. I had, I had made a feature film that had won some awards, gone through the festival route, and I was writing screenplays. And I was going to these meetings here in, in California with producers and and I was getting more and more interested in the sort of what I would call family adventure genre of movies, which are basically the movies that I grew up with in the 1980s, you know, your, your ETs and your movies with young people as protagonists that were relatable to young people, but also exciting for adults. And I... I was kind of moving away from what I'd done with my first film, which was very much of a sort of like swingers, wedding crashers kind of, you know, 20 something guys comedy into this, this new sort of genre. And as I would have these meetings, I would, I, 201 producers would say to me, you know, we're looking for the person who's going to write this generation's Goonies. And Goonies, of course, is, yes. is right in the middle of that, of that genre from when I grew up. And I love that movie. And so what I, I started to do was I spun an idea around of like, how, what if we took the model of the Hardy Boys novels, which I grew up with, and I think, I think so many people our age grew up with and sort of modernized them and made the kids a little bit more tough and smart alecky and but you know created that sort of adventure story that that could make it to screen and so i i wrote the script and it was tom dillon and alec dillon alec's name has been in there from the beginning and and tom is a character in the crabtree monsters but not not a brother at this point and I wrote it and it got some notice and then finally got optioned and it was optioned multiple times by a production company out here in Los Angeles. And, you know, we talked about what we were going to do with it and it got 
kind of into the pre-production stage until ultimately because of lack of funding and and other issues after about 4 years it it revert the rights to the the screenplay reverted to me and at that point i you know i had split from my previous manager and i was thinking about what i wanted to do and i said to myself you know i really believe in this story i really had fun writing this i want to write about these characters but I don't want to go out and try to pitch a four-year-old screenplay and try to explain to everybody why it's it should be made now. So I'm going to try to write this as a book. And I, you know, I have all the action, I have the characters, I have all the pieces. And writing a novel was something I'd always wanted to do anyway. And so I I started to work on it. But at the same time, by the in the four years that I'd been waiting and you know hoping, my oldest kid was growing up and I have I have girls so I was starting to be aware of chapter books for middle grade readers I was reading them at night to my older kid as the reading skills were were growing and developing and I started to think you know first of all I'm a I'm a mystery nut and I didn't feel like there were tons and tons of mysteries for that that audience that weren't like gentle mysteries of you know who who misplaced whatever gardening instrument or whatever I wanted something that had some oomph to it where the stakes were really high where you could legitimately be worried for your heroes but I also was thinking about the girls in these books and there are exceptions of course you know Turtle Wexler in the Westing game certainly comes to mind and Ingrid in Behind the Curtain and the Echo Falls series certainly comes to mind. But I found that so many of the girls in these books were really sweet and nice in a kind of unidentifiable way. Like I, my kid was tough and, you know, acerbic sometimes and thought, you know, I need a voice like that in these books because the I don't want that fierce, tough, acerbic voice to go away in my kid. I want her to be somebody who's tough enough to to take on any obstacle and feels empowered to to be both a leader, but also you know an advocate for herself and for her friends. And so we start. So I started writing it. I struggled for a long time over what the name of this character was going to be since I shifted away from Tom Dillon to, you know, they were, it, she was Olivia Dillon for a while. And she was, you know, I went through a bunch of different names. And then when I finally got to Kat Dillon, at that point, my, my oldest was, you know, in, I think, sixth grade. And I, I said, I said, you know, hey, do you want to read this? I've been working on this forever. And they started reading it. And they basically said, like, this is great. I really like this plot, but, but she's got to be tougher and she's got to be smarter. And at that point, my oldest became, whose name is Grace. Grace became my number one editor and my number one person to bounce ideas off and really became the alter ego of Kat Dillon, right? Where we would sit down and we would go through a chapter and we would talk about the plot and and she would say to me like, no, you know, dad, like, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fold like that. I, I would fight back or I want her to fight back. It really became sort of the sharpening piece for this whole character and for this whole story. Alec was always very jokey, but his jokes got funnier because she got, because Kat got tougher. That's been such an exciting piece. Like there's a, there's a great personal warm feeling I have about doing this work because I get to sit next to my kid when I'm writing and say like, Hey, would Kat say it this way? What would Kat be thinking? What, you know? And so there's a, a really great father child connection that I'm able to, to get. But also I think, I think I've made Kat a stronger person. I love that your daughter like has been able to play a role in this because, you know, they say we write what we know. And even mm-hmm. though, you know, you're not a teenage girl, you no. know, teenage girls, you're raising them. And the fact that your daughter was able to help 
bring some authenticity to Kat's voice, I think is that's wonderful for you, but it's wonderful for the reader to be able to get that authenticity. And it really does come through. I have to say, I, I don't, have you watched Ozark on Netflix? Absolutely. I love Ozark. Yeah. So for me, when I was reading Kat's toughness and determination and grit really reminded me of Ruth Langmore. I guess <laughs> yeah. I was reading her and I was like, oh, I can I can really visualize her as a Ruth Langmore. Anyway, that's that's how, who she came across to me. <laughs> no, I, I think that's that's right on. I think I think Kat Dillon and Ruth Langmore would wouldn't be sure whether they should hang out together or whether Kat should be busting her for something. It, I, I That's absolutely the kind of dynamic that I was going for. I, I love that character. Absolutely. And just in case we have any listeners that haven't seen Ozark, I just need to say it is not a kid's show. It's definitely ah. for it's definitely for adults. That's right. Um, but I bet there's plenty of you listening, nodding, knowing that you love Ruth Langmore. Well, Kat is absolutely just like Ruth Langmore. <laughs> All right. So as a writer and a filmmaker, do you feel that reading the work of others plays an important role in either inspiring or informing or encouraging you? Oh, heck yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I always have two or three books going at any one time and I'm always looking, I mean, I suppose I'm looking to copy things that I really love too, but what I, what I really am looking for is, you know, what are the ideas that are inspiring other authors and and that can inspire me along the way? And also just, I... My perspective is not the only perspective in the world, right? I want to be thinking about what's important to other people and also think about like the landscape in which in which I'm writing. You know, it's interesting when I was creating Cat, the the sole exception I felt like to the sort of two nice girl characters that I was seeing in chapter books were the were the girl characters who were in sort of the post-apocalyptic future stories, right? Like it, it was almost like if the apocalypse came, then the girls could get going. Um, but like that's Hunger Games and Divergent. And those those were were girl characters that I really I learned a lot from. And I, and certainly they were important to my my daughter too. But yeah, I have been reading and rereading um, stories that have been meaningful to me forever. I have told a lot of people that when I was 12 years old, I was already a mystery nut. And I had a family friend say, well, you've really, if you're really a mystery nut and you seem like you're sort of mature, which was wildly wrong, <laughs> um, you should really be reading Robert Parker's Spencer, which was huge in the 1980s. And I started devouring that series, which now I look back on and I cringe because there's a lot of sex in there and there's a lot of violence in there. But, you know, that was mind blowing. And that's what led me to Ross McDonald and, and Chandler and Hammett and Robert Cray and Michael Connolly and, and uh, so many other, other authors. Yeah. I, I try to, but I try to look at nonfiction all the time. I try to look at other mystery authors. It, it really, I feel like you can't be just in your zone, right? You can't be a, a literary hermit. You have to be sort of absorbing at all times. Yeah, I agree. I have noticed something, even from my own childhood, I didn't actually read a ton of mystery books as a kid, but I had friends that did. And I see it even now with my my kids and, and their friends. But any child that loves the mystery genre genre devours books like in uh-huh. insane amounts. So I'm just curious, like why you think kids love binging on mystery books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, I think the best thing about mysteries for me, and this was true when I was a kid and it, it continues to be, is 
there's two things. One is that they exist in a world that is very similar to ours, right? You know, Crabtree, where Cat Dillon lives, is not a real place, but it's based on several real places. And it seems to exist in the world that 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 we live in. So it's it's very relatable in that regard. It feels like a, a world that you inhabit. But the other piece of it is that you know, solving the puzzles of a mystery, dealing with the different personalities, figuring out what motivates somebody, this is as pure a metaphor for what it's like to grow up and then as an adult to sort of navigate your life as you're ever going to get without it being something that's going to make you sob uncontrollably for hours and hours, right? It is very, it's easy for me to pick up a, a murder mystery for adults or for middle grade or young adults and imagine, okay, I know exactly what that world looks like. And I also know exactly what it's like to feel like the odds are against you, that there are very powerful forces at work that are trying to do what they want to do, which probably isn't right. And it's up to you, and maybe if you're lucky, a few of your friends, to solve this and decide what kind of person you want to be. And that's that's the thing my, my oldest and I talk about all the time when we're writing Cat is the the thing that's hardest for cat but it's it's got to be present in every story that we tell about her is that solving the mystery isn't just fixing the puzzle isn't putting all the pieces into place it's about making the moral decision to do what's right even when it's hard and that's i think what's so important about mystery fiction yeah i love that and you know i think of mystery as you're always just trying to find that answer to the puzzle but the way you phrased it was i think that's beautiful oh, i'm going to have you. to replay back and listen to that answer <laughs> again <laughs> well so the good news for mystery book lovers is that the crabtree monsters is the first in the cat dylan mysteries so i want to know what's next for cat and Alec, and how many more books do you think we can expect to see in the series well so we've plotted out through book 6 at this point and and that's not to say that six is the end, but we've plotted out through book six. You know, there is an ex for those who, who buy the book. There is an excerpt from the second book, which I'm deep in revisions on right now. The book, second book will be called The Body on the Beach. And it takes us about it takes place about three or four months after the Crabtree Monsters. Um, so it's deep in the winter in Crabtree, Michigan, which is not what kids from California are used to. But I think what's what we have to look forward to is you know, this growing relationship between Kat and, and her brother, which is, you know, sometimes fraught and sometimes difficult, but we're going to continue to put these two through their actions. I, I've been thinking a lot, and, and Grace and I were talking just last night about the fact that this is really a series where we don't want there to be a true status quo, where, you know, Kat and Alex solve a mystery, and that mystery is over, and in the beginning of the next book, they're sort of back to where they started, or, you know, everything, is, life is back to normal, everything. There's always repercussions for the things that they they do, and the, the decisions they make, the mysteries that they solve. So through these first six books, we're going to put them through their paces and we're going to continue to really challenge them and press them and make their lives hard to sort of establish who they are as teenagers, you know, and our, or in Alex's case, you know, tweens. So we've got The Body on the Beach, which is about, is about Kat and Alec solving a real life for them murder mystery. Um, and we'll also delve into the, the sort of double whammy of villainy that happens in Crabtree by people who are very wealthy and the interests of, of that group vis-a-vis -vis true criminal activity and the, the sort of 
the push and pull of that that will continue to happen. I, after six, I don't know. We will we'll see. And but the the key thing, and this is something that that my my daughter is really really pressed on me is you know after the sixth book, if we've done our job and we've really changed the status quo for these characters and we've really put them through their 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 licks and their obstacles, then it's it's not even really going to be the same series at the end of of book six. It's going to be a different series with the same characters who've grown and developed from first book to sixth book. That's awesome. So much to look forward to. And I love that you just kind of have this loose plan. It's clear, but there's room for growth and it's so exciting. So while we're waiting for the next books to come out and we're reading The Crabtree Monsters, I'm curious what impact you hope that this first book will have on readers. You know, I obviously I, I want this to be a fun, entertaining read for Anybody in this age group and their parents, I want them. I'd love for it to be a great beach read. I'd love for it to be a great summer read. It would inspire me almost as much as anybody if this is something that makes kids want to sit up and start reading, right? Like, I want to know what's in the next chapter. I want to know what's happening next. So I'm I'm hopeful that we can have that kind of impact. But the, the secondary or maybe not even secondary, probably equal is I just hope this can be really empowering to tween girls, right? Is... I think it's really important that we have these tough, strong, smart female voices out there and that they can feel like that, you know, tween readers who are girls or tween readers who are are willing, who are boys who are willing to read about girls can hear these voices and really be inspired to take responsibility for the world that they live in and to, to fight for who they want to be. That's certainly what, you know, I think about all the heroes I used to read about when I was that age. That's what they inspired me to do was to sort of be my best self and be the person that I wanted to be, um, whether that was a realistic goal or not. I, I want that for, for, for my readers, you know, let Kat Lee show you how to be tough and smart. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's so important to have characters that empower girls, but but not only that, I think it's important for our boys to read books that see girls taking the lead and, yeah. you know, so not just to empower the girls, but to have the boys see the girls in those roles is so important. I know that we didn't have a lot of that as, as um, you know, kids ourselves. So, yeah. you know, I just want to say that I really think that this is such an exciting read, Chris, and you've included you. the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, I think, I think readers are really going to want to rally behind Kat. So thanks for writing such an exciting character. And, and I can't wait to see Alex character developed too, because I, I loved his character, you know, just as much, you know, Kat's obviously the star, but I think Alec was such a fun character as well. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, I, I think when you write characters like this, they kind of become your children too. And I kind of can't wait to see people that they grow into. I, I, you get the added benefit as the author to sort of know where they're going as opposed to being surprised from time to time. But, but I can't wait to see that. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to one of the things I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with now is, you know, in this second book, watching how they're bickering takes them in different directions too. And, and how Alec has a sense of, of how things should be done right. And Kat has a sense of how things are done right. And they really don't have to come together on this as long as they sort of know that they've got each other's backs. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, before we go, is there anything else you think that we need to know about the Crabtree Monsters or anything else exciting that you want to share with us? 
I don't think so. I mean, I hope that people enjoy the book. Please uh, take an opportunity to uh, read about these characters and experience Crabtree, Michigan for the, the first time. Um, and I, I hope that once they, they've gotten a chance to, to be with Kat and Alec, that they'll be back for the next, the next outing and the next adventure. Yeah, I bet they will. And on that note, Chris, you better get back to writing so that you can <laughs> feed the readers with more of your stories. <sighs> yeah, I do need to get to it. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much for being here today, Chris. Everyone's going to love this. I know it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I, I love this podcast. This has been so great. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of The Crab Tree Monsters by Chris Wheeland. To see which author and illustrated guests we have coming up and how you can be on our podcast and have your questions answered by authors and illustrators, visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com forward slash The Growing Readers Podcast. If you like this show, remember you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. This episode was made possible by Chris Wheeland. To discover more fantastic books, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com. Thank you.